Welcome to Humans Leading Humans Towards a Future of Work that Works for People. A smorgasbord of snackable stories that will help you be a more effective leader. My guest this week is the frankly inspiring Stephen Roberts, who is the Head of Culture and the Chief Scientific Advisor at Barclays Bank. We had a quick chat earlier, so I've got some ideas of the stories that he's chosen to share, of how he's managed to drive transformation inside Barclays, which is a 330-year-old beer moth of a company. So he's going to tell some stories about trial and error and unexpected partnerships and sometimes tears. And he'll explain how a bank somehow became the largest retail distributor of Wi-Fi in Europe. But first, let me explain why you should dedicate 20 minutes of your precious time to listen to this podcast every week. So do you work inside a complex organization, whether that be private or public? Do you lead teams or are you charged with making change stick? Do you sometimes feel that you're wasting your time, that it is impossible to succeed within the politics and complexity of your organization? Bring on humans leading humans. This is your audio fuel kit packed with the stories and the tools and the inspiration that we all need to lead. It's for those times when you just need to be re-energized, you need to be inspired, you need to believe that you can succeed because here's the thing, leaders across the world have succeeded. They have proved that you can teach an old dog new tricks and they've seen the impact. So I'm on a quest to collect those stories, to give you the courage and the know-how to lead more humans. And in the coming weeks, I'm going to be talking to Vince Cerf, the chap who invented the internet, and to the chief culture officer of Burning Man. I am loving this journey, and I hope you do too. Before we listen to Stephen's stories, I would like to share a narrative that helps me and the humans in the companies we work with to reframe the reality of how companies really work. Here's the thing, your organization would be more successful if it acted more like an octopus than a printing press. What on earth is she talking about your thinking well? I imagine that right now you may be thinking of your company as if it's a machine. Most of the companies that we work with at Beep are all about the machine thinking when we start working with them. You know, the, the blueprints and the separate departments and every part having its own totally specific and separate jobs to do. Leaders believing you can switch one thing out and replace it with another and that the whole system will continue to work as if nothing's happened. The thing about a machine is that it's designed to do one thing over and over and over and over again until that thing is no longer needed. Then the machine becomes redundant. But just imagine how much better it would be if you could imagine your company or your organization like an octopus. 
So just close your eyes and imagine how those incredibly agile, adaptable creatures work. Every single cell works together to continuously adapt to its environment. If an object or a predator is near, the whole system works together to kick it into hyperspeed so it can escape. If the temperature changes, it senses the change and it moves to somewhere more comfortable. If it's in an environment with different colors, it changes its colors so it fits in. The brain is distributed all over its body. Everything is connected in an always-on system of sensing and continuous amends across always-on feedback loops. If it tries something and it works, it'll try again and again until it becomes a new behavior. If part of a complex system is cut out, every other part suffers. If a foreign body enters an organism, every single cell works together to get rid of that body. We all know about corporate antibodies, right? The entire system of an octopus is geared towards one thing and one thing only, adaptation to survive. Now, the world is changing really, really fast. We all know that, and your company has to change to keep up. We all know that too. And to be more octopus, you need to change the way that you do things. But according to behavioral science, humans are hardwired to resist change. We will do anything to hold on to the status quo. The good thing is there are core tenants to cultures where we humans are most receptive to change. So to make those tenets easy, I've collapsed 20 years of experience and pain and learning and science into the CREATE framework. So my company, BEEP, supports all sorts of old dogs through the pain of cultural and operational transformation by helping them create emerging agile cultures to evolve to being somewhere closer to octopus. And we've seen that the best, most effective leaders watch how customers are behaving. They look at the environment. They spot opportunities for improvement. They see what's working, what isn't, and they adapt their thinking and doing according to what they experience. Carol talked about this a lot in last week's episode and Jim the week before. And enough of all this. Think more like an octopus. Um, and I can't wait to hear what Stevens chooses to say. Before we hear from Stephen, I'd just like to share a couple of the stories that I heard in last week's Humans Leading Humans Clubhouse Room. So the first one is from a woman called Maylen who leads the people-centered internet. She talked about her experience right, right at the beginning of Singapore's transformation. The people there needed housing. A big housing problem called for a big response. So the big companies swooped in and proposed a simple solution. All you need to do is to borrow millions of dollars from the World Bank and pay us and we'll fix it for you. 
So the Singaporeans were not terribly pleased with said proposed solution. So the big boys would earn loads of money and the people who lived there would have housing, but no job and no way of earning money. So they did something really smart. They said, how about you give us the big engineering plans and we'll break it up into small chunks so that our own mom and pop companies can win those contracts. Her point was, we spend a lot of time thinking about the complex macro challenges. In this case, let's do housing. But we don't think enough about how we can break that mammoth task down into achievable chunks and let small teams really own them, which works so long as everyone has that big picture, the big plan, front and center mind. So the second story is from an amazing man who I've known for years called John Baines. And he talked about the power of one of the E's from the CREATE framework. So he used to run a digital agency and when the dot-com bubble hit and the cash flow put the company into stranglehold, him and his board did something very unexpected, but very smart. He knew how important equity is, by which I mean everyone across the company abiding by the same rules. So before the board did anything in crisis, they stopped paying themselves. Then they gave their employees choices. They could keep going as they were. They could go freelance. They could take a voluntary pay cut. They all understood what they needed to do was to extend the window to win work and get the wheels back on the bus. And guess what? Everybody did something because they really felt they were in it together. Those leaders were utterly honest, utterly transparent. They offered choice. And by building trust, they built a community. And they won work and they got back on track. And when the business started earning money again, they obviously rewarded their teams with big bonuses. Not surprisingly, no one was leaving that company in a hurry. That, dear listeners, is the power of having skin in the game. The do what I say and not what I do style of leadership just does not work. If you have a story to share about what good leadership really looks like and feels like, please DM me on Twitter. That's at BeepMindShift or reach out to me on LinkedIn. Kat's Keeley, obviously. Steve, you are the third person that I've had the honor of uh, interviewing. Um, as you know, uh, what I've done is I've sent you the CREATE framework and I've asked you to think about three separate snackable stories that actually show how you're an imaginal leader. So um, just to let you know, guys, people who are listening, the first time that I came across Steve, who is the head of culture and chief scientific advisor for Barclays, was at a big transformation program that we were running for a global pharmaceutical company, doesn't matter which one. He was on stage 
with this amazing woman called Emma who used to work at Freeformers. And I was really struck by how human you are, which is why you're here. So Steve, tell us a little bit about how you ended up doing all of the absolutely amazing things that you've done at Barclays over the last few years. Well, first of all, it's very kind. Thank you. Uh, and lovely to be on something called human to human, because I think um, people are what makes a business. But a little bit about me. So I have four kids and I'm married and my career background is I did a degree and PhD at Cambridge in geophysics and set up a startup that didn't quite work out the way I wanted. So I joined the bank on its graduate program oh, 30 odd years ago and been here ever since and been very lucky to have a whole range of jobs in different parts of the bank from the investment business to the operational side and probably up until about eight or nine years ago was a traditional banker I was the chief operating officer for the bank in the UK and along came a new chief executive Ashok Vishwani and asked me to stop doing that and help him with digital transformation a job that neither of us knew what we were doing to start with, but uh, learned how to do things differently. And I think that's where we've learned the most, certainly the, the most fun bit of my career and continues uh, to be so. So I'm very happy to talk to anyone about our experiences because I think there are lots for everyone to learn from. Does oh my help? God, so, so many things to learn. So, you know, just to let the people who are listening to this know, um, I've already had a chat with Steve and we've talked through the three stories he's about to share and oh my god, I get, it doesn't really matter whether you're in government or whether you're in a big corporate or you're working for pharmaceutical companies, the things that Steve is about to share are kind of counterintuitive and they're exactly the kind of stories that you need, we all need, to believe that change is possible and how it can be. So Steve, go on, tell us story number one. I'm going to tell you first about digital eagles and, and in all of these stories they weren't done to a plan that a lot of it was through trial and error uh, and some parts accidental but what's consistent all of them is uh, to keep learning and keep reflecting on what's happened and seeing how you can improve things so it wasn't that we're especially clever it, it's just we're quite good at learning stuff so with digital eagles we wanted to do digital translation and we thought we would do that through, in a typical bank way, spending money, which was to put free Wi-Fi into all our branches. The first bank that did that, and first any large retailer that did that. And we were the first enterprise purchaser of iPads in the world. We bought 20,000 iPad ones uh, back in the day to show to staff that we were serious about digital transformation by giving them some equipment that we wanted them to use in a very different way to traditional bank computing equipment, where um, it, it, we left almost everything working as it should on an iPad and encouraged the colleagues to take them home and to use all of the facilities within them. And on the Wi-Fi side, a very unexpected consequence was of putting the free Wi-Fi in, which had a business reason, which was to enable us to help customers download mobile banking while they were with us, because that showed we proved uh, that was much more effective than giving them a piece of paper and let them try and do it at home. I think that's, I'm just going to stop you for a second, because this is a really important point. What you did 
And actually, Lord Jim Knight, who is the first person I interviewed for this podcast, put a challenge out there. If you're working for a bank and if you're a senior leader, figure out what people are actually doing and make sure that you're working with that. So what you've just said is people were coming in, you were giving them a piece of paper and they were going out and chucking it away. And you realized that was never going to work. You saw yeah. what people were doing, you looked at the customer, and you made this incredible decision, which is we're going to give free Wi-Fi to everyone. <laughs> An interesting consequence of that was within six months, we'd become the largest distributor of uh, Wi-Fi in a retail environment in the whole of Europe. We were only overtaken in that by uh, Zara, just because they had loads more shops than us. But what was even more interesting was on social media, we picked up how kids were arranging to meet in our bank branches. So for the first time in our history, we'd got people wanting to come to our buildings, not because they had to, because no one wants to come to a bank branch. We had people who wanted to be in our buildings and people were even moving offices to use the free Wi-Fi and moving into it. Next order, there's nutty stuff. But Brilliant. That, that, and you could have looked at that, as many people would, and go, this is our Wi-Fi. Used to look at who's taking the Wi-Fi. I remember there was some guy in, there was a little branch in Plymouth, which had the largest downloads of anywhere in the country. And we realised it was a shop across the road that was downloading videos. Anyway, I diverge. The other thing with the iPads that led to the digital eagles was we made this purchase of iPads. The interesting thing was that the colleagues didn't use them or all of the colleagues didn't use them as you expected. The youngsters loved them, but anyone over 30 typically just used to like carrying them around. Or if you were a man of 50, you didn't even bother taking them out of the box. And when we asked the colleagues, so why aren't you using these things that we've spent all this money because uh, it's a big deal, an iPad one, when it first came out. Um, and the colleagues would say, I'm worried about breaking them and I'm embarrassed to ask for help to how to use them. The insight at that point, which was based on our own personal lives, was seeing how older people don't learn about technology from the next generation because the two of them wind each other up. If any of you have ever tried to get your parents to use an iPhone or a tablet or whatever, but grandchildren will spend all the time in the world with grandparents because children don't often get asked by an adult to show them how to do something, but they do with technology. And grandparents typically love talking to grandchildren. And so we just decided uh, in desperation more than anything, why wouldn't we try that experiment within the organization using the equivalent of the grandchildren so the youngsters who were enthusiastic and technically savvy to educate the rest of the organization uh, and that's what we did starting with we asked for 20 volunteers for six months secondments 300 people applied and we chose 20 10 women 10 men that very junior people across the whole of the organization and we gave them some what looked like quite crappy badges now that said digital eagle on and some QR codes and off they went. And we said to them, we think you're going to find in every branch that you visit, because we mapped out how each one of them would be able to go around all 1700 branches in six months, at least once. You're going to find somebody just like you. And if you find someone like you, that might be like a teller or a personal banker, ask them if they'd like to be a digital eagle and we'll give you a badge. 
and within two months we had 3,000 volunteers. Such a beautiful story and actually shows the power of reward and recognition. Even something as tiny as having a badge of yeah. being a thing, of being part of a community is so powerful. And you and talking, going back to the, you trusted these guys who were the, some of the newest entrants to your bank, 10 boys, 10 yep. girls, to go out there and be your change agents. How extraordinary. Yep. We're just putting together a compilation of the, all of the various videos and adverts that were produced over the last eight years, and they make you cry. I remember when we first did a video that we'd made of the digital eagles teaching a, a chap who's uh, died now, but he was a pensioner in North Shields, how to get online so he could Skype with his great nephew in Australia who he'd never met. And um, this chap was just a natural comedian, but they're absolutely beautiful. And I remember when we showed them to the 200 most senior people in the UK bank and there were bankers crying. I've never seen that before. And you knew that you'd captured something that was really emotionally important and uh, played to, to what the organization's about in a very powerful way. So that, that's a lovely thing. Yeah, and if people are interested, they can probably find those. It's really strange, isn't it, in corporate environments, and I work with a lot of them, people somehow lose their humanity and being able yeah. to trigger that and allow them no, to be who they are. A key, key thing, which, which I'll just jump to the second example, which are Eagle Labs. Uh, during the course of doing Digital Eagles, we ended up coming into contact with some amazing organisations that approached us or passed on our names to other people as we started running a lot of digital education programmes in the community. So the Digital Eagles became something that moved way beyond just helping colleagues to become digitally savvy, but they did hundreds of thousands of hours outreach into the community. And during the course of those, um, all these lovely organizations like Raspberry Pi and Code Dojo that we ended up doing work with, we came across a, a fabulous organization called Fab Lab, which is something that comes out of MIT or came out of MIT about 15 years ago, which is connected to the maker movement. And a chap just wrote to me one day and said, would you like to come and see my Fab Lab? So I went and saw this place and I thought, this is amazing. Uh, full of 3D printers and laser cutters. And it was like a techie man shed. And we, we'd been thinking within the bank about where was technology going to go next. And I'd met with Raspberry Pi, who were a Barclays customer, it turned out. And I thought, this is what we should be getting into. So I persuaded the bank to let me have the upstairs of a branch in Cambridge that would become our first Eagle Lab, opened on the 4th of December 2016 if I remember, and uh, the Duke of York came to open because he happened to be in Cambridge that day. How old is Barclays? Uh, 330 years. 
Oh my goodness me. Okay, so you're in a, a fairly significantly old traditional organization. You've just done this beautiful program where you've empowered all these young people to bring the excitement and build a community around digital transformation. And now you're somehow managing to persuade the bank to get behind bringing Fab Lab, which is a maker, a maker movement, into the banks. How did you do that? Well, that's where you start immersing your peers and the other people into that environment. You realize there's an awful lot of what do you call hidden engineers doing ordinary jobs in banks and things. And the enthusiasm of that environment and the people in it. And also because in places like Cambridge, there are some very influential and wealthy people who are in the make movement. So you mix all of those people up and you get the people together and people will be willing to say, well, you can have a little bit of money to experiment. So quickly moved from just being a maker lab into we started renting desk space. And then we started realizing that we could acquire customers from these Eagle Labs. And then we realized that some of the Eagle Labs were becoming specialists in particular industry sectors. And so we thought, why wouldn't we focus on specific industry sectors like law tech? So we run the largest law tech incubator in the UK, probably in Europe. We now have an Eagle Lab farm with the University of uh, Lincoln. And we also realized the power of collaborating with universities and city councils. So in Southampton, we run an Eagle Lab with the city council for the whole Southampton conurbation that specializes in uh, marine tech. But that was a difficult journey, convincing the organization to embrace labs and probably took about 18 months. And if I was to plot one of the key journeys, just going back to the original point about um, getting emotional contact, one of the early things the Brighton Eagle Lab did when there were only three labs is there's a charity that 3D prints prosthetics for children. There's a limb abnormalities in one in 10,000 children. And to get a prosthetic is typically a six month waiting list and costs, I don't know, 10,000 pounds. Whereas you can 3D print a prosthetic overnight for 70p, something like that. And so uh, and the charity that runs this offers up the measurements of children that need these prosthetics and then people with 3D printers print them off. Uh, and we did that, but we did it for a little girl called Riley, who was the daughter of a manager in Brighton, uh, Barclays bank manager. Uh, and we filmed the whole process of her coming in to be measured and uh, thing. And you can see that on YouTube if you just uh, Google. And it's a beautiful video. It must be now five or six years old. Uh, but that happened to get distributed an early version around the CEO of the bank at a dinner that I was at. All of a sudden, people got at a Eagle Labs at a completely different level. And it's been very interesting, the people that we have to the labs. Like we've had Prince Charles along and lots of government ministers and people. And 
it's because we're showing we can do something that's useful for the community that's different because we're bringing people together in a way that, that the origin of a lot of the banks like us and Lloyd's were running coffee shops in the city of London where we were good places for people to convene together. And, and that's what the labs have become. But again, they've become something that we didn't start them off to be. We just had an idea that we kept learning and twisting and adapting within the financial and commercial constraints, but to keep listening to customers all the time. And, and I think there's something that you said there that really touched me and is very aligned with the way that I believe the world works and the way that most corporates don't is you can tell anybody as many statistic arguments for why they should do something, but you show them a story, it makes yeah. them feel something. You communicate with them, get the message from here into there, and suddenly they're going, oh, yeah, we really want to do that. Now I can feel it. Yes, of course we want to do that. So I, I love that, Stephen. Third story. So I used to go in... Uh, probably four days a week to Canary Wharf and one day a week out visiting various branches and places around the country in my new role. And when the pandemic started, I ended up helping out at Brixton Barclays branch because uh, so many people were ill and it was somewhere near to where I lived. So I thought I'd go and help out. And then uh, helping out in Wimbledon branch. And I've ended up staying here ever since. Uh, and the reason I'm staying here isn't because I'm serving customers downstairs because I'd be a bit useless at that, as I quickly realised. But it's how I help the colleagues in the branch and how they help me telling me about all the things that they're bothered about and things that aren't working for the customer. At the same time, I was having this duality where I'm joining all of these calls where people are presenting PowerPoint presentations on proposals for how things or describing how things are working. And I'm sitting in a place where those things are happening in real life and the two don't match. Sometimes they do, uh, sometimes they sort of do, and sometimes they don't at all. And being able then to take the voice direct from the colleague or the customer and translate that into actions has been a, an amazing thing. And so we're going to leverage my experience to the frontline colleagues and the customer, inspired in part by the fabulous John Timpson, uh, who we've been working with. He's a non-executive director of the bank uh, and his work, but a lot through the personal experience I've had being close to the colleagues who were fantastic. That, that's my third story, because I think we've run out of time. We are running out of time and all I can say is there is something really powerful and shareable in every single story you've said. Um, so two last things before I leave, we leave each other. First one is if you had one piece of advice to give to the people who are listening about how you've managed to drive such extraordinary change in a very old organization, what would that be? Oh, my God. I don't think there is one piece. Right? I was going to say go visit an Eagle Lab because uh, a lot of people 
don't get it and think I'm bullshitting about things and things are different. But you have to go and see. Uh, it's probably the thing I'm most proud, not for me, but for the colleagues. What what has always I've loved is the people who work in them did work in branches and did work in the ordinary bank. And when you see them and they say, this is the best job I've ever had in my life. And you want to cry when, and you think, why can't everybody have that? I love, love, so, love. That's the best. And because actually people don't learn by hearing, they learn by experiencing. Yeah. So exactly. being in there, then you can't argue, can you? Because look, you're here, you're feeling it. Last, very last thing, and I have to say that I found this an absolute inspiration. I'm really, really grateful for you sharing your stories. But the very final thing, what should we call this episode? I, I quite like it about humans. Because this, the whole thing is about people. It's not about technology. Old dogs can learn new tricks, maybe. I love that. That's what it's going to be called. I thank you for your time and your inspiration. And uh, I'll see you again soon, Stephen. Bye. Oh, thank you so much again, Steve. This has been an absolute inspiration. And I hope that you enjoyed that as much as I do. But I fiercely believe that everything can be better always so i actively would like your suggestions for improvements what could i do better what do you want more of who do you think deserves to join our list of imaginal guests so if you've got any suggestions or comments or of course a story that will inspire listeners in next week's episode please dm us on twitter at beep mindshift or reach out to me on linkedin you can find me under Katz Keeley. Or, of course, come to the Humans Leading Humans Clubhouse Room on Mondays at 3 o'clock BST. I'll put the link in the notes. Put it in your calendar before you forget. So next week, I'm going to be talking to the phenomenal Isabel Naidu, who heads up inclusion and talent at FIS Global and is, believe me, the physical manifestation of an imaginal leader. FIS Global has 55,000 employees in countries across the world. I've had the joy of working with her and her amazing team, and they are living proof that leaders who create culture can absolutely drive change in even the most complex organizations. I happen to know she has a lot of stories to tell, and I can't wait to see which ones she'll choose. You have been listening to humans leading humans towards a future of work that works for people. This podcast is brought to you in partnership with the Marketing Society. And P.S., if you're a senior leader and you need the know-how and the network to succeed, if you're not already a member, you should totally become part of that tribe. I'll put the link to their website in the notes. And a massive thanks to Super Terrania for the magical sting of sting. Go to www.wearebeep.com to find out more about the Create Framework and how we support companies by unlocking the problem-solving potential of humans. Thanks so much for joining me again. See you next week. Be inspired. 
be imaginal, be more human. <laughs>